Petre ke Pavle tu Greetings, everyone. This is Father Andreas Hupos welcoming you to the Holy Apostles podcast brought to you by the Adult Religious Education Ministry here at St. Nectarios Greek Orthodox Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Today I'm coming to you by myself. If you listened to our last episode, you would have learned that Father Nectarios is on vacation. And so we're going to miss him in today's episode, but the fact that you're even hearing today's episode uh, means that Father Nectarios has had his hand in it, uh, as he is the one who produces the podcast, puts the files together, and uploads them. So we thank you, Father Nectarios. We miss you, and we can't wait for you to get back. Now, you're joining me today for episode four of our series in which we've been exploring the personalities we referred to in the church as the Holy Apostles. And if you're joining for the first time, please be sure to listen to the first episode because it contains some introductory information that might be helpful. So far on our program, we've covered the following apostles. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Matthew and James, the sons of Alphaeus. If you're not counting, that amounts to seven of the total 13 we will be covering. Remember, while 12 is the number we usually associate with Jesus's main apostles, we will also be including the Apostle Paul, since it is his and Peter's feast on June 29th, for which we're preparing. Last week, we covered Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus. If you listen to that episode, you might remember that Matthew is the source of the gospel account of the same name, and James is less well-known but earned himself the moniker the Divine Seed for his active spreading of the gospel. You may not have caught it in the last episode, but we made a brief allusion to this episode and how we might be looking a little more at the identity of some figures associated with the apostles and the connections between them. So in today's episode, we'll need to bring Matthew and James back into the picture for a bit to sort some things out. Before we get to that, however, we should probably go ahead and point out that today's subjects, the apostles Simon and Judas, are probably the least well-known of the band of apostles. We have very little information available to us about their missionary work, but of course we will be presenting what we have. One of the things about Saints Simon and Judas that we'll be looking at is their family tree, and we'll be bringing to your attention some things you might find unexpected and interesting. From our very first episode, something that has characterized our overview of the apostles is the matter of names. Namely, one of the things that makes getting to know the apostles so hard is the sheer multitude and variety of names that each one bears. This week's pair is no exception. We introduced them here as Simon and Judas. This is probably already confusing, for a couple of reasons. The first is because there are already a much more well-known Simon and Judas among the apostles, 
The better-known Simon is the chief of the apostles, who is named Peter by Christ. And the better-known Judas is the infamous Iscariot. In fact, our Judas today is explicitly referred to as not Iscariot in the Gospels. The other reason these two apostles might confuse us a little is also the, ver the variations of their names. Simon is always Simon, but is qualified sometimes as the Zealot or the Canaanite. Judas is known also as Thaddeus or Labaius Thaddeus. Additionally, those of us who are primarily English speakers will perhaps be more familiar with his name being presented as Jude instead of Judas, a decision that ostensibly was made in order to distinguish him from the traitor Judas. We are going to adopt this tactic for the remainder of this episode for the sake of clarity. Now, what we're going to be sharing here is what comes down to us through the tradition of our Orthodox Church, as we have in the previous episodes. And there is a distinct tradition concerning St. Jude in the Western churches, which leads him to being the patron of, among other things, St. Jude Children's Hospital, from which his name might be fam familiar to those of us uh, here in the States. Okay, in last week's episode... We talked about how Matthew and James were sons of a man named Alphaeus. We touched ever so slightly on how that name could also have been rendered Klopas or Kleopas. If you're already having a hard time keeping up with this, you're not alone. But it's only going to get worse before it gets better. This Alphaeus Kleopas is understood to have been the biological brother of Joseph, who was the betrothed of the Virgin Mary and the stepfather of Jesus. Alphaeus Cleopas was also married to someone named Mary, who was present at the crucifixion and who was among the myrrh-bearing women who went to Jesus' tomb to anoint him. Alphaeus Cleopas and Mary, are the parents of the apostles Matthew and James we discussed last week. Now remember, Joseph and Cleopas were, apparently, biological brothers. Joseph had been married previously to a woman named Salome. They had several sons, two of which were named James and Jude, that Jude is the Jude we are talking about today. One of Joseph's and Salome's other sons was James, who became the first bishop of Jerusalem and is the author of the Epistle of James. Incidentally, he is also considered an apostle, but not one of the twelve. This James is known as the brother of God, or Adelphotheos. The reason for this is, according to what the traditional account says, Joseph's sons, through Salome, did not want to share an inheritance with Jesus, since he came from another mother. However, one son, James, agreed to share his inheritance with Jesus. 
Thus, even though the two had different mothers, James came to be known as the brother of God. Interestingly, the traditional account tells us that Jude and his other brothers did not like his half-brother Jesus, especially as he began to teach and work miracles. This is alluded to in the passage from the seventh chapter of the Gospel according to John, where it says, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no man works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. So let's try to review this family tree. An exercise, we realize, is made even more challenging in an audio format. Joseph and Alphaeus Cleopas are brothers. Alphaeus Cleopas is married to Mary, and their issue are the apostles Matthew and James. Joseph and his first wife Salome had several sons, among whom are the apostles Jude and James. After Salome's death, Joseph was betrothed to the Virgin Mary, who conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So according to this understanding, this means that the apostles Matthew and James, the sons of Alphaeus, are biological cousins with the apostles Jude and James, the stepbrothers of Jesus. Our dear listeners, if your head is not spinning from all of that, I commend you. But I think we've managed to lay out the familial relationships as handed down in the traditional assessment of who is who, drawing the connection between last week's pair, Matthew and James, and one from this week's pair, Jude. With regard to the Apostle Jude, we know that his brother, James, remained in Jerusalem and served as bishop there. Jude, however, went off to many places to preach the good news. Judea, Galilee, Samaria, Idumea, which is the region south of the Dead Sea, Arabia, Syria, Mesopotamia, and Persia. Like the other apostles we have covered so far, Jude went about preaching, teaching, and healing. And, as is the case with the other apostles, his activity upset some of the local authorities. Eventually, St. Jude was captured by pagan priests, tortured, crucified, and run through with spears. Very little is known to the church about today's other apostle, Simon. One account is that he was the traveling companion of St. Jude and met martyrdom with him in Persia. However, this is unclear. The accounts that are apparently more authoritative 
tell us that Simon went to Egypt, Mauritania, Libya, Numidia, which includes modern-day Algeria, Kyrenia, we believe in Cyprus, and Abkhazia on Georgia's Black Sea coast, even going as far as Britain. The accounts that tell us he went to Britain say that he was martyred there. As we've seen, there is no shortage of varying accounts of or routes taken by the apostles. Concerning Simon, there is a tradition that numbers him among the kinsmen of Jesus. Another tells us that he was the groom at the wedding in Cana, where Jesus performed his first miracle. This last point is associated with Simon because of his name, not Simon, but his epithet, the Zealot. The Zealot is an interpretation of the epithet Cananeos or Cananitis, which is itself a transliteration of the Hebrew Kanai, which means zealous or jealous. However, this epithet has also been interpreted to simply mean the Canaanite, in other words, someone from the region of Cana. The account we have at our disposal, which is included in the volume we've mentioned here before, The Lives of the Holy Apostles by Holy Apostles Convent, seems to simply combine these attributes, relating it in this way. The Holy Simon was a native of Cana of Galilee and was known personally to the Lord and to his all-pure mother, for the town of Cana was not far from Nazareth. When Simon celebrated the occasion of his marriage, he invited to that festivity the Lord, his Immaculate Mother, and his disciples. Since there was a shortage of wine for the guests, the Lord changed the water into wine. Struck by this miracle, the bridegroom came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the true God, and leaving his wedding festivities and his very house, he followed after the Lord with zeal. Hence he received the name Zelotis, or the Zealot, since he was inflamed with so great a zeal that he forsook his own bride for love of Christ, wedding his soul to the heavenly bridegroom. So we've completed our look at the apostles Jude and Simon. While there is very little known about their individual missions as apostles of Christ, I think our listeners will agree that they, perhaps unexpectedly, became windows into some other connections that we might not have considered before. I wonder if, for some of you listening, if this is the first time that you will have heard about Jesus's familial connections um, not so much that he had, quote, brothers, because we, we do find this in the, uh, the passages of the New Testament. Of course, we read one uh, in this episode, but more so in the sense of the connections, the particular connections between particular individuals uh, whom we otherwise w- uh, would not have connected to Jesus or to one another for that matter. And... Uh, in a way, this might strike us um, as 
strange. It might strike us as, um, well, why is it, why isn't this more well known? Why isn't this made more clear in the pages of the new Testament? And we've already in previous episodes addressed, uh, how some of these, these connections, some of this information isn't necessarily drawn out clearly in the pages of the new Testament because it's not seen as, um, fundamentally important to the gospel message, which is not to say that it's not important and doesn't have its place. But the church um, didn't simply throw away this information or, as it was compiled, didn't reject it because it, it, the church found that this was um, information that was helpful information that was derived from uh, exposure to experience with the Holy Scriptures, with the oral traditions of the church, and those other intangibles that were handed down from generation to generation. One of the things that comes to my mind with regard to some of um, what we heard in this episode, particularly surrounding the person of Jude and those relationships with Jesus, is uh, let's say the humanization of Jesus, or to put it another way, um, showing us another angle to the human uh, experience of Jesus. So what I mean by that is we might hear, for example, in the gospel according to John, that the word uh, became flesh, the word was made flesh. Okay, that that God the Word took on flesh by the Virgin Mary uh, through with the Holy Spirit, and uh, and God became man. Now we can appreciate that and we can understand that through our baptism, our chrismation, our participation in the sacramental life of the Church, we are progressively enlightened to that event, that fact, if we want to use that word that truth. Uh, but perhaps for many of us, this is something that's more of a concept. It's something that is almost intangible to us. And, um, it, it takes some work to even begin to grasp the import of such a thing. But through the window of the apostle Jude, we get a glimpse onto Jesus's life on this earth, um, and getting this picture, this image of him being the stepson of Joseph and having to relate to these half brothers. Uh, it, it sounds almost like a Cinderella story that, you know, here are these, um, elder brothers, these, um, children of Joseph who, you know, their, their inheritance is coming into shape, into form, and it's um, something that they look forward to. This is part of the culture and the custom of their people. And along comes this, uh, this other son, this son from another woman that their father has brought into his house to look at it in just mundane, worldly um, terms. And so to see that the word became flesh 
not simply meaning that he took on, let's say, the meat of our bodies, but that he came and took on the complications of our life, that he didn't come into a picture-perfect family, um, but rather came into a complicated family, a family where there was more to the story than what might be considered normal or ideal and had to come in uh, and deal with or experience rather uh, or just simply be surrounded by the complications of life and family dynamics and um, you know one of the one of the examples or the types in other words the prototype or an, uh, um, an earlier indication of Christ is, is of course, uh, Joseph in the Old Testament who had his brothers who um, wanted to kill him and then end up, long story short, they end up abandoning him and he's picked up and taken into slavery in Egypt. And then that whole story gets turned around because he finds high station in, in the government of Egypt and ends up saving his family um, in their time of need and poverty. And, and then not only that, but doesn't lord it over them and rather is glad to share with them in this, uh, this type of salvation. Well, we saw, and or we heard rather in this account of Jude, the apostle, how uh, he in particular and his uh, some of his other brothers did not really care for Jesus. They didn't believe in him. Um, as the gospel told us. But then you have James who sort of concedes and uh, humbles himself and, and goes as far as saying, I will share my inheritance with you and establishes this brotherly bond with Jesus and goes on to be to be sort of be blessed and known by this, this um, name, the brother of God. Uh, and then James, uh, excuse me, Jude later follows suit and um, also becomes an apostle of Jesus, goes out into the world, preaches the gospel, and ultimately gives his life uh, for um, the gospel. So we have this 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 turn of events, this coming around um, that we see in the life uh, of Jude, and how it's connected to Jesus. And there are still things that we can glean from this that are beneficial to us. And we can see then why the church has not simply abandoned this to the dustbin of history, but has kept this as, as part of the broader tradition of the church. Another thing that might come to mind, and I'll, I'll keep this brief here, uh, is looking again at Jesus coming into that complicated family situation and uh, being again, in worldly terms, in the context of his family, the inferior to his uh, older stepbrothers, the, the sons of Joseph, um, and yet being the one who was eventually starting to perform miracles, to teach and teach boldly, uh, and to, to be sort of pushed away by his brethren, to be uh, not to be believed in uh, by them, we might pull from this um, some encouragement and some um, camaraderie with Jesus, let's say. 
because there are some, perhaps many of us, who have awakened to faith in Christ. Um, we have grown in our faith in Christ. We have grown nearer to him, nearer to his church, become more involved in the life of the church, have become more serious in our life of piety, of prayer, of um, self-control, of not living to excess, of maybe helping others. And uh, to some around us, family, immediate fam family, extended family, um, friends, colleagues, um, they may see this as a type of uh, extreme behavior, or they may see this as something that they don't understand, or they may feel that they're being judged by us even. Um, of course, we have to be careful not to judge them, but sometimes even people experiencing our life in Christ from the outside can make them feel judged. Um, and we might experience this kind of distancing or even active shunning, um, ridicule, perhaps uh, other even more extreme or worse treatment. And we look at the example of Christ and he, of course, we can on one hand say, well, he is the Lord. He can kind of do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to apologize. He doesn't have to try extra hard to convince people. And those things are all true. But we can look to his example and see that he didn't back down. He didn't um, change. He didn't compromise. But he didn't apparently argue. He didn't um, beat his brothers over the head with his faith or with his message, his gospel, his truth. And uh, eventually, in the long term, the long run, won them over. Uh, and this can be um, a good reminder to those of us who may find ourselves in a situation where, uh, as I described, where we've been um, drawn in and drawn closer and closer to Christ, and in so, so doing this happening, um, drawn farther away, let's say, from uh, some of the things of, of the life of this world that others may consider normal, uh, and then look at us as strange or, um, judging them, as we said. And, um, and this can be, um, inspiration for us to persevere in our path to Christ, despite these, uh, differences that may arise and, um, and hope with God's help and his grace. And of course, people have their own decisions to make in life, but perhaps by our humble witness and perseverance, uh, they themselves in the end may be drawn closer to Christ as well. This concludes the fourth episode of our Holy Apostles podcast. I thank you for listening and pray that as we get to know the Holy Apostles better, that they will deepen our own connections to Jesus and to his church. Be sure to join us next week for our penultimate episode, where we will cover the Apostles Thomas and Matthias. May our Lord keep you and your families in peace and good health until then. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. 
Tim Bonaian. If you enjoyed this episode of the Holy Apostles podcast series, please consider subscribing for future episodes.